Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Hey, everyone. So summer's in the air, literally. It's yellow and it's floating and it's coming down and it's making everybody sneeze and feel funny. Or maybe it's just stress. (laughs) And it's pouring down the streets of our villages and towns as well. (laughs) Stress pouring down like sweat on a hot summer day. There's an analogy. Anyways, here we are again for our weekly podcast. Today, we're going to talk a bit about with summer on the horizon. What do you do? You play baseball. We're going to talk about playing ball today and what's going on in Sac Harbor with the negotiations between the Sac Harbor School District and Mash Ashamuet Park. Yes, I can say that word in Sac Harbor, which is where for generations, um, youngsters from the schools in Sac Harbor have played sports. And there's a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum right now. And we're gonna get into that shortly. But first of all, with us today is Bill Sutton, manning the controls. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And you got a fine haircut there, by the way, buddy. Why, thank you, so I hear. It's really nice, good, good, good. People on the radio can just imagine it. It looks yeah, really good. That's right. You've got a haircut for radio. Um, also here with us today is Gavin Manu. Hey, Gavin. Hey, Annette. I am Gavin Manu. I am the publisher of the Express News Group, as well as a longtime sports writer here in little old Sag Harbor. Which is why Gavin's here with us today. And I'm Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor of the Express News Group, which means I know nothing about sports, which is why we've also brought in Kaylin Riley today. And Kaylin is one of our amazing pinch hitters when it comes to writing. And she's also quite the sports maven. You headed up the sports section at the Southampton Press for years, didn't you, Kaylin? I did. I did. I was sports editor for, I don't even know how many years, but um, handed the reins over to Drew when I had kid number three and just, you know, needed to have a different kind of schedule and he's done a great job with it. I am also an alumni of Pearson High School and played sports at Mashashamua Park. Well, one sport anyway, field hockey. So I have a vested interest in this story from that perspective as well. And you and you can give us a firsthand account about the quality of the bathrooms at the park, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I may have to recuse myself from, from that question. <laughs> so launching into that, I guess basically I'll say what I know in a nutshell, and you guys can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But every year around this time, the school district needs to renegotiate its contract with the Mashashamuet Park Board. And the deal is that the school, which does not really have enough fields of its own behind the school, outsources by having many of its teams play at Mashashamuet Park. And from what I'm understanding, the contract for this year to have the teams play there is about $215,000 that the school is looking to pay the park in order to play there. But with that Before they would agree to the contract, they were asking the park board to make some upgrades and improvements to the facilities at the park, including the aforementioned bathrooms, and that the park was not interested in doing that and that things have sort of come to a standstill. Did I get that right at all? Yeah, most for the most part, yes. They they actually had a five-year contract that is expiring next month. So they've been in contract negotiations to 
try and figure out a way forward. And those negotiations basically um, didn't, <clears throat> didn't result in an agreement. And so on Friday, <clears throat> Greg Schiavone, who's the president of the parks uh, board of directors said that um, the school informed the park that they would not be renewing their agreement with them, which was pretty much a bit of a Friday evening bombshell, so to speak. Um, and so since then, I've been in conversation with Brian DeSessa, who's the president of the Board of Education, and Jeff Nichols, who's the school superintendent. And I've been talking to Greg Schiavone as well. I also talked to Lizzie Halleck, who is a sophomore at Pearson High School. She plays um, both softball and uh, soccer. So as an athlete who has two more years ahead of her, <clears throat> she has a really vested interest in this as well. And she started a petition to keep sports at Mashhashanua Park on change.org that at the moment has 410 signatures. I think it's important to, to set the backdrop for, for listeners out there who don't really understand the arrangement is that the, the Sag Harbor School District obviously uh, collects funds from taxpayers to uh, fund their programming, including their athletic programs. And then they pay the, the Mashashanua Park Board uh, a, a certain amount of money every year to use the facilities. The Mashashanua Park was deeded by Mrs. Russell Sage all these years ago and has been run by a, a private park board who you know, ha has no obligation to the public to divulge it's, um, you know, it's uh, go comings and goings or it's operations, but this partnership that they have with the school district is, is what makes it sort of um, a more interesting situation than just a park that anybody might use because, because of the funding that the school does pay them to keep the fields in order to, um, you know, put on, paint the lines, get, get it ready for games, put out the goals. You know, they do all these things uh, season after season for the Sag Harbor School District. So, on one hand, you have a school, a public school that, that is funded by taxpaying dollars that uh, operates out in the open uh, as much as we'd like it to. And then you have a private park board that, that they sort of contract with. So it's a, it's a bit of a unique circumstance. And the, and the beef is that um, because of that arrangement, the, the, the facilities are not maybe what, what other school districts have when there's just taxpayer funds being involved right there directly you know, uh, new fields, new dugouts, sort of the state-of-the-art equipment. So so it is a very unique situation. Yeah. I just was curious, do we feel like $215,000, which seems like a lot of money to me, is that a good deal? Like, is it, you know, is it unreasonable for the school district to ask the park to make these improvements? Sounds like maybe the, the school board would be willing to help make some of those improvements too. But at $250,000 a year, I just wonder if we feel it's, it's legit that they ask for some upgrades or improvements or things being fixed at the at the park. If if you're a uh, if you're a renter living in an apartment and 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 your apartment is falling apart, I think it's certainly appropriate that you would go to a landlord and say, "I need a new stove, and you need to fix this squeaky door, and you need to make sure that my toilet is working, and you know, and and all those things." I don't know that I that I see a huge difference. Here, I mean, if, if that's something that, that you can negotiate and, and agree upon. I think, though, I mean, so this is an arrangement with the park that goes back a century. The school district really has no other option, right? I mean, they don't have room to build their own fields, do they? I mean, there's no, there's no room to, to build their own baseball field and bathrooms and, and all that. They could take that $215,000 and negotiate to rent somebody else's fields, though. 
say Bridgehampton, you know, there's other fields in the area. So it might be they found and they're not telling us yet that they have an ace in the hole. Sure. But if you want to practice at, you know, nine o'clock at night after Bridgehampton is done and play your games at, at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday before Bridgehampton comes on, I'm not taking a side here. I'm just saying that 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 might be a little problematic too if another school is using those those fields. Well, you can also walk from the school to Mashashmuo Park. Now, did I complain about it every day when I had to do it during field hockey season? Sure, I did. It's, I think, 0.8 miles. So when you get a backpack full of books and all your gear, it's it's a little annoying, but it's doable and you do it. Is it uphill both ways? Yes, <laughs> extremely, practically vertical. But I mean, you know, it do. that's the thing, it's doable. So like, even though Sag Harbor schools have this unique situation where the property that their school is built on just does not ha- allow for a full athletic facility. Now they have one um, <clears throat> grass field behind the school, which was upgraded recently after the community declined to put in a turf field there, but um, it's not enough to host all of your athletics there. So the kids do, um, they can walk to the park for practice. So they don't have to, the point is they don't have to be bused there um, for practice. And so that makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah, to your point, Bill, about a renter, if, 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 if my house needs a, a new kitchen, then the, then the landlord is going to fold the cost of that into, you know, whatever the rent's going to be. Or if he wants to build, a new, if he needs a new roof or a new deck, you know, maybe he's going to raise his rent a little bit. So it, it really comes down to, to the finances of this thing. And I've been saying all week that I don't, I don't think one can exist without the other. I don't know if Mashats and Newark Park, as, as it operates today, can exist without the Sag Harbor School District athletic program. And I don't think that the athletic program can exist without those fields down there. So what do you do about that? Well, I think that there's some, maybe some, uh, you could probably point fingers, fingers in both directions and say that um, these improvements that need to be made, uh, including uh, fixing the grandstand, which, which maybe is a little dangerous. And I've been inside that grandstand and it's not pretty in terms of the facilities inside of there. Um, uh, new, new fences, new backstops. This is expensive stuff that goes way beyond $200,000 for the year, which also funds uh, the, the, the park manager and, and some people that help him keep the, the park in order. So the, the, the school district money, plus they, they rent out a tennis facility, that, that's basically their revenue, right? They don't get any tax dollars. So um, when all these fixes need to be made, who's going to pay for that? Uh, I believe in the past, it'd always be that uh, the park board would say, you want a new backstop? It's going to cost $20,000. And the school board would build that into their budget knowing that the park did, didn't have the money for that. Now, if all of a sudden the park is expected to cover these costs, it's just gonna be, they're just gonna need to tack it on to the cost of the, of the rental, if it were. So it's really gonna be, it's gonna be coming from the taxpayers one way or another, because the way the setup is, is that this private park board does not have some steady stream of funds beyond what the school district pays and what the tennis facility pays. So um, I, I, I personally think that these things should have been, uh, there should be some kind of plan for the years to come about these projects and these upgrades and how it's going to be paid for. And it needs to be built into the school budget one way or another. One of the um, gripes that Greg Schiavone mentioned, or I don't know if gripes is too strong of a word, but one thing that he mentioned that he was frustrated with 
and you know a lot of this is a bit of a you know he said he said kind of back and forth a little bit but he for what it's worth he told me that the park board reached out to the district in february to try to get the ball rolling on these negotiations and that they did not hear back from them until earlier this month whether or not there's dispute about it, whether or not that's the case but at any rate with a contract expiring in June, um, you know, this this is was sort of a lot of like it seems like last minute wrangling to try and make it all come together. And um, you know, Jeff Nichols released the uh, document. I think it was like eight pages or so of the negotiation, the proposal that the school gave to the park, and then the response from the park. He released it publicly um, so that the so that people could see what exactly what was going on. And so he sent that out in a in a letter to all the parents in the school, and I of course looked it over. And you know, part of what was happening was that the school wanted to school had a list of things that they felt needed to be done, and they do seem like reasonable things that can and should be done. I mean, it is not a, a lie at all to say that the facilities at the park are definitely in need of some upgrades. And when you compare the facilities there to what you see at all the other high schools around here, they are like definitely, definitely subpar. But again, as Gavin mentioned, this isn't just a case where the park has just some fund of money sitting around that they can just make all those upgrades. They really don't seem to, I mean, again, we can't have a look at their specific budget because they're a private entity, but it doesn't seem like they really have the funds available to do a lot of this work. So the school wanted to tie, they wanted to break up their payments into in a new contract into eight installments contingent upon certain things getting done on a certain timeline. And I think the park just felt that that wasn't really possible. They weren't willing and they weren't, and it wasn't really possible for them to do the majority of what the school wanted them to do. So what's the public perception? Do you find that, you know, I used to mention there was a petition out there and there's probably been some chatter on Facebook. Do you find that in general parents um, and people in the community are coming down more on the side of the park board or on the side of the school? Or is there some frustration just about the opacity of the whole negotiation process in which a lot of these contract negotiations are done out of sight, which is always the case, but people seem to be particularly put off by these sorts of things these days, it seems. Oh, it is a hot hot topic in Sag Harbor right now, probably the hottest topic. And there are very strong feelings on both sides. I mean, there were in board meetings over the last couple of months, there's been um, a couple different people who have been very, very vocal, handful of people who have showed up to a lot of meetings and been very vocal about their ex extreme frustration with the facilities at the park and have really been beating the drum for the school to try to you know get the park to make a lot of upgrades but there's also a lot of people who feel very strongly that this is like a real that that the sports need to stay at the park and that they that that's the best and only place for the kids to be and that it would be real detrimental to the student athletes who are the ones who will be affected by this for them not to play there and so you know, their sophomore th that I mentioned, um, Lizzie Halleck started a, a petition on change.org and it has almost 500 signatures. I think the kids just want to keep playing there because they, they recognize that the facilities aren't perfect, but that's their home. That's what they know. 
as their home and to play anywhere else wouldn't feel like home because it wouldn't be by that definition. They would not, they can play some soccer and field hockey games behind the high school, but there is not a softball field or baseball diamond in the village of Sag Harbor at this, at least at this point, that's available for these kids to play on. So the kids that play those sports, there is nowhere in their home to play home games aside from the park. Yeah, it should, it should also be noted that Mashashimua Park is a very special place. It's a beautiful place. The fields are green and lush with grass. Um, it's a, they, they do a really nice job maintaining those fields. Um, I think that the kids of Sag Harbor who walk down there every day really enjoy going there. Maybe not the walk so much as Caitlin mentioned, but once, once they're there, once you're there. So there's a lot of positives to say about the park and it's right in Sag Harbor. Getting on a bus and going to Bridgehampton or East Hampton or Southampton is not something the kids of Sag Harbor want to do, period, end of story. No. So th that leads me to believe that, th that I think that these, these sides need to make some kind of an agreement. It, sh it should also be noted uh, that the people who've been speaking up at the school board meetings and Kaylin is not just a sports writer, she's also covering the board of education for us. But uh, these people who've been speaking up for the last several years, a, a group of them have offered to do some of these projects and have already done some projects. They're, they're, they're contractors, they're professional landscape companies. Um, you know, some of these newer parents in Sag Harbor, uh, you know, have some money in their pockets and have some uh, resources at their disposal. And they've come in and they've fixed up a baseball field and they cleaned out all this junk metal from the woods where they run cross country races. And they, they claim that they've been met with a lot of headwinds in their efforts to, with, to work with the park board to make changes. They, they, they say there's been offers to improve the softball field, to bring in lighting. Uh, I mean, the, the dugouts at the softball field are, are, are frightening. Um, they're, they're very old. They're, just, they're, they're literally crumbling into the ground. So while you might have a beautiful grass field to play soccer on, over the softball diamond, it's not the same story. And, and, and this is where the frustration is coming from. And whether you've lived here for uh, your, your whole life with generations before you who went to Pearson High School, or if you just moved here in the last 10 years and, and, and your, your kid's in the school and now you're offering to help out, everybody really wants, I think, to, to develop a park that's in the best interest of the kids. Um, and uh, I think it's incumbent on these two boards and, and, and the parents who are maybe offering to help out to come to some agreement and to some long-term planning to fix the facilities down there because that's really the bottom line. I fully agree. And I have hope that they will because I just think it would be a real shame for, for these kids. Like I, I fully agree with what Gavin said. It, the, the fields themselves are very nice to play on they're beautiful, the facility itself is beautiful, but it definitely needs these upgrades. But, but, the, but there really is, I just don't see any other options. That, that field behind the high school is nice and it's new, but soccer and field hockey are not meant to be played on the same field. I mean, most kids don't even wanna play soccer or field hockey on a natural grass surface anymore anyway, but even if you are doing that, you need to really keep those fields in good condition. They are way more fragile than a turf field. So you can't just have all of a sudden put tons more teams for games and practices on a grass field. You'll just ruin it in short order. So um, the fact that there's just one field behind the school and it needs to be cared for in that kind of way just means that it's not sustainable to have the majority of the school's teams out there on a regular basis.
Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And also, you know, I just remembered the park is really where all of the homecoming activities take place in the fall, too. So I think there's a real emotional attachment to that park, even if you're not an athlete, but if you go to Pearson, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Greg mentioned that as well. All the other kind of school related events that take place down there. It's not, you know, just the um, the games and practices themselves, but it's it's a whole tradition. And again, Lizzie's the only student I've talked to, but she said a lot of her peers feel the same way. And I would too, if I was in high school, I wouldn't want to have to take a bus somewhere for every game and practice. You know, she mentioned that it could also lead to a drop in participation in athletics. And I, I see that point myself because when I was in high school, I played field hockey. Then I thought I'd love to run track. And after about a week of having to ride a bus over to East Hampton High School every day for practice and back, I, I just kind of was like, you know what, I don't like this enough to make this kind of sacrifice. And so I could see a lot of kids who might be considering joining another team or a team. Maybe that could be something that makes them drop out, you know, just the extra commitment it takes to have to like get on a bus every day after school. Well, the two sides are at kind of a standoff right now. Do we, um, they, they presented it as, it as, as kind of a <clears throat> done deal on Friday that negotiations were done and and this wasn't going to happen, but do we do we kind of feel like um, there's there's still some work to do, and there's still an openness to um, to to talk and to try to hammer something out? I think that there is. They're not really like commenting publicly about the possibility of coming together again. I think they're both kind of taking this stance right now that a decision has been made, but it's hard for me to imagine that they're not going to continue the conversation in some way. I just feel like they can't, they can't not, like they owe it to the district and the public to, to give it another try to work it out. And again, both sides are sort of accusing the other side of not really being willing to negotiate. So I think that's just sort of where they are um, emotionally right now, maybe. <laughs> and I'm hoping that I'm hopeful that they will start to, you know, realize that they really should continue to talk and try to come to some sort of agreement. But it's hard. I get this, the, I get, I see valid points on both sides. And I also see the challenges in trying to figure out how to make this work. And it's interesting. I get the sense that some of the park board members have been on the school board. And I imagine the other way around, you know, it's not like they're two really separate groups of people you know there's a lot of overlap a lot of the people on the park board have kids that play sports and you know vice versa I'm sure yes Greg has played sports at MASH Park he's had you know that a lot of them have that connection to it for sure I, I think they all want this the same overarching thing they want what's best for the kids and they want it to be remain the place that it always has been. Yeah, you know, the, the conversation I had this week about the MASH Park Board, which is, um, again, we've, we've talked about kind of how unique that is and how, how you know, I, I do feel for, for their setup a little bit because, you know, they built a new playground down there and they had to 
sort of go hat in hand in the community and try to raise money. And it was a real challenge. And that, play, that playground needed to be redone. So they, they saw the need for that. And they, they went out in the community to raise funds. And I'm not sure that they've even raised the, the, the total amount to pay for it just yet. So, um, you know, a few years back in that, you probably remember that the, that the John Germain Memorial Library Board was a private institution. And they took that public because they likely saw a need for uh, tax dollars and, and, and they wanted to renovate the library and it, ju it just wasn't sustainable anymore. And, and, and when the dust settles on that, I wonder if that's gonna be a question the park board members sort of ask themselves is, how long do we wanna have this struggle back and forth? Is there a conversation that should be had? And I know there's this old deed from Mrs. Sage and this is the way it's always been. But if it's gonna mean that we're putting our kids on a bus out of Sag Harbor to some other school, maybe that needs to be looked at again. And, and, and maybe there needs to be a, a better relationship between what is really Sag Harbor's big green park space. It's a small village. There's, there's, there's nowhere else to go with this. That's, that's the simple fact. Maybe there is a need for some change. Maybe there's a need for some, some funding to come to the park directly where they don't have to get it approved through, through a contract that can help make some of these improvements, make that park really what it deserves to be. And I think it's a valid point to try to open up the, the process of these boards because with the John Germain Library, as I, I remember that, they were there were just a lot of suspicions because when it was time to fill a board position, from what I remember, the, the library board would kind of select somebody to become a trustee, which is, you know, there wasn't a nominating process. There wasn't a way anybody from the community could apply for that position. And I'm not exactly sure how it's done at the park board, but I feel like the structure of those two organizations is somewhat similar. And it may make sense for the park board to, to if they don't have a very open nominating procedure to come up with something that makes it a little bit more transparent. I just feel there's a lot of a lot of suspicion among community members about a lot of organizations in Sac Harbor right now. And any transparency that I think any of them can come up with is probably a good thing because I think that you know how people are. They tend to they tend to let their imaginations run wild and they start finding conspiracy theories and a lot of the way things are done, whether or not they exist or not. So anything that I think these boards can do to, to open up the process um, will go a long way toward repairing relations between the two sides. Yeah, I agree. Because I know that in some of these public meetings, kind of to your point, Annette, like certain members of the public have said things like, well, where did they get the money to redo the playground? How come that was able to happen? What were funds from this, the, was money that the school pays the park being used to help to, to do the playground? And of course it wasn't, but I, I think what, like what you said, people see, they just, you know, and also they said, they see on paper, okay, that we pay them $215,000. Where's that money going? And, you know, I, I know that it takes money to run a park, pay the employees. There's a lot of things that have to get done down, down there. So I'm sure that money goes to good causes and it's used well, but, but yes, it is, it is sort of unsustainable what's what you know it seems like the the setup of how they have things there might need some sort of change in order to bring it to current because i mean the the part, there's a lot of things that just haven't changed there since i played field hockey there in 19 in the 90, 1990s which it's almost charming but then when you look at it up close you're like no, this, this needs, these fences are rusty. These things haven't changed. There's basically one bathroom and a porta potty. And the one bathroom, I mean, is like 
light years away from certain fields. So yeah, things, there's definitely a lot of things that need to be to be changed there for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the one of the biggest things that we should talk about is that wonderful grandstand. For anybody who hasn't been to, to the park, there's this wonderful uh, green grandstand that sit right, sits right next to the, the main baseball field. And it is in a major state of disrepair. And, and the, the inside of it, which most people don't even see, is, is downright frightening. Yet it's, it's, it's what makes the park, uh, one of the things that makes the park truly wonderful to, to just be in. It's, it's definitely, you could use the word iconic for, for Sag Harbor. Yet um, the, the, the notion of the conversation about whether we need to either restore it or destroy it is upsetting to people. Uh, nobody wants to see that thing destroyed. But at the same time, it, when is a kid going to be walking on the steps and is going to fall through and, and hurt themselves? And, and God forbid, there should be some, some bathrooms right next to the baseball field where there's 100 people watching a game. There's a bathroom in there, but it's inoperable. And it, it, it's completely inoperable. And that's where the soccer coach, I've walked in there with the soccer coaches where they store all their things. It, it's just not a pleasant place. Yet it's, it's, part, of the it's part of the fabric of that, of that area. But $200,000 a year is not going to cover the cost of restoring that grandstand or building bathrooms. So where's the discussion of how are we going to fix this grandstand? How are we going to uh, put bathrooms in it? It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Everybody in Sag Harbor wants to keep it. It seems to me like that's some long-term planning that needs to happen. But, but it goes back to this, this nature of a private board uh, operating how it wants to operate, which is the way it was set up. They're not, they're not doing anything uh, wrong. That's the way it was structured. Um, and then has to be contracted with the school board. So, so nobody, nobody's being held accountable there. It's, it's either you pay for it or it's just going to sit here in this state of disrepair. And, and, and all that has landed us here where we are today, which is where kids have to start a petition to be able to play sports in their own town. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a shame. And um, I think that we're right that it is a negotiation uh, it, that's now happening out in public. And uh, we do hope that this week they come to the table and, and try to hash this out. And, um, you know, but, but regardless of what happens for the next year with a possible contract, I, I think that it shows that there's some, some long-term planning that's needed to, to upgrade all these facilities. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, when I was speaking to Jeff Nichols the other day, he was talking about how, you know, that it is a beautiful facility. And when you look at it, your mind, kind of goes to this place of just imagine what it could be you know and he said he doesn't fault the park board and he's you know understanding that it, it may just be an, an issue of the way they're set up now they just don't have access to the kind of funding they would need but it is true when you think about what that place is and what it could be it it is a shame that there's this situation where they can't make it happen you know if you look over at like Southampton High School for instance they have this like really nice new bathroom facility in a building that also has a little like concession area so parents will or students will set up and you know sell refreshments at games which helps them raise raise money for whatever things are going on at the school whether the kid there's a group of kids trying to raise money to go on a trip to Europe obviously not in the last year but all kinds of different things you know there's a whole atmosphere there the regular having regular bleachers to sit and watch the games like it would be incredible to sit in refurbished bleachers there and watch a baseball varsity baseball game or Hamptons collegiate baseball game 
in like newly renovated grandstand with like a really nice bathroom facility underneath. That would be lovely. It would benefit not just the school, but the entire community. But that's got to be part of the rub, though, too. I mean, if you're if you're on the, the, the school board, do, do you you know, can you justify um, d dumping money in, into a grandstand that's not just for the school use? I, I, I wonder, what, first of all, I wonder what what the, um, you know, the state education board would think about that. But but secondly, if it's going to be Hampton's collegiate baseball and, you know, and Little League and everybody else using those facilities, why why is the school district on the hook for that? Although, you know, to, to Gavin's point, I think if, if that's part of the rent, then that's the solution around that. If they want to raise that that rent from two hundred and fifteen to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and come up with a long term plan to, you know, to pay for those renovations, maybe that's how you do it. I don't know. Maybe they need to do it like they did with the playground and just and have a, a like a campaign to raise funds. You know, they raised, raised enough money in this this area to do other good projects. So maybe there just needs to be a more public campaign to get donations and start raising funds to make it happen like it did on the playground. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the bottom line is something has to happen. I mean, nobody in Sag Harbor is gonna be happy. New parents, old parents, generational people with, uh, with Pearson High School playing their sports um, at East Hampton High School. It's, it's just not a, it's not a scenario that anybody's gonna support. So, um, nor does anybody expect uh, some golden new uh, grandstand to be built next year. Again, I think that they need to come to the table, iron something out for the next year, and go to the drawing board and figure out how they can uh, meet some of these demands. Again, there's been there's been some community support, and every every story has multiple sides, especially here in Sag Harbor lately. But there's been community support. There's been offers to help. Uh, th these are for hundreds of kids in the Sag Harbor community to have a place to go play. So I, I think that the adults can come to the table on, on several fronts, uh, like Bill said, raising the rent or accepting a donation of a, of a contractor or a landscape company to, um, to, to do the basic necessities. And then some of the bigger projects, it, whether it's community driven or uh, tax driven through raising the rent on the school district, they need to get this done because I don't, like I said, I don't think uh, shipping the kids out of town is, uh, is, is going to be the answer. I know that this is, you know, with the preface of this is a first world problem. I really feel for these, these student athletes because they've had a hell of a year. So between the pandemic, canceling all kinds of things or postponing or changing their seasons, then, you know, Pearson winter athletes and the high risk sports couldn't have a season. And now they're facing the possibility of not having a home when you're a high school athlete and you play a sport you love it it's your it's like the big it's such a big part of your life and to have to have all of these different things thrown at them in just one year and you know you only get a couple of years that's it you're you know most of these kids aren't going to play in college or or beyond so it, it's a shame that you know we we've in the last year had two different Pearson students start petitions just because they want to play sports. I mean, that's, that's like really pretty brutal for them. So we'll stay tuned. We'll be waiting to hear what you find out at your next board meeting, Kaylin. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty, plenty more to discuss about it, but hopefully some good news will come out of it soon. Bring your field hockey stick just in case. I still have it in the garage. <laughs> it could come in handy. <laughs> All right, everyone, get out there and play ball.
27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.